Turn with me this afternoon now to 2 Corinthians again, in chapter 5. Now, you'll notice that last evening we really didn't get very far in chapter 4, and we're not going to go back and review that, but just as a little housekeeping note, we do plan on finishing that on Sunday evening here. And so we'll have the opportunity to be able to get back into that portion and actually get into the portion itself and see some of the lessons that perhaps the Lord would have us to learn there. But tonight, we're, or this afternoon, we're going to be looking here in Ephesians, I mean, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading uh, at verse 12, a very familiar portion of the Word of God to all of us. And it says this, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Although God, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. May the Lord add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word this afternoon. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we acknowledge before you we must depend upon you and upon your spirit. If anything of value is to come, anything of eternal value is to be come of what is said today. And so we yield ourselves to Thee. We yield ourselves to Thy Spirit. And we ask that You would speak to us through Your Spirit and for the glory of Thy Son. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While living in the Philippines, we had occasion to visit the U.S. Embassy located down in Manila, on Manila Bay. Now, typically, it had something to do with passports or visas or, or the like. 
And for a couple of years, I became a representative for the, for the uh, embassy in, in Manila. And what that really meant was that as a representative, I would go down on a bi-monthly basis, or sometimes it would be maybe just once a month, and, and we would meet down there with the ambassador, or usually it was a representative of the ambassador, but once in a while it would be the ambassador himself, and they would fill us in on information concerning things that were going on in the country, warnings that we had to have, scams that were going on that we needed to protect those that we were representing of. And so we would, we would go down and we would enter in, and it was always a privilege. It was always an honor to go to the embassy. For me, it, all, it never lost that, that uh, joy of being able to go down to the embassy, except for the drive down, which was always horrendous. But by the time you got down there, you came into that very special place in the embassy that was only for the citizens who were going to enter into the embassy itself. You drive up and you'd come to the, first there would be a Filipino checkpoint, and at the Filipino checkpoint they would check underneath your car, they would check in the trunk, they would look at everything, make sure you're okay. Then you'd move forward to the next checkpoint, and at the next checkpoint there would be U.S. Marines stationed, and you would show them your credentials, you would show them your reason for being there, and they would then radio in to check and make sure everything was okay. Then they would open up the gate, they, they had those, those, uh, spikes that came up underneath the road, you know, so you couldn't move forward until those spikes were let down, and then you drove in. You parked, and then you walked into the embassy. And there were there were U.S. Marines standing at the entrance. And you would walk in, you'd show them your credentials once again, and you'd walk inside, and you'd go into the embassy itself. And there you would wait for the ambassador, for the representative to come and and share with you there. And so for about a brief hour or two on those days when I went, for a brief hour or two, I was home again. You realize, don't you, that the U.S. embassies, embassies around the world, are sovereign U.S. property. And when I walked into that embassy, I was home again. I could see the U.S. flag being flown. I could hear my language being spoken Although English is spoken across the Philippines, it wasn't American English by any means. And I felt at home. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have never been home. We've never been home. We are citizens of another country, aren't we? We are citizens of heaven, and we have never been home. One day, we will go home. But I would like to submit to you, just like it is for me, was for me to go into the embassy and be home for a couple of hours, that we make visits frequently to home. When we get on our knees and we open our hearts and our minds before the living God and enter into the presence of God Most High and we pray, we're visiting home. And those experiences are, are special to us. Because many of us are longing for home. To one day be with Him. 
But during this time, while we are here, as we have been hearing, we have responsibility. We have responsibility. We are... We were also registered with with the embassy in order that they would know our location in country in case it was necessary for them to contact us or even evacuate us. They knew just where we were, just where we were living. So the evacuation needed to be necessary. They needed to get a hold of us right away. They could get a hold of us right away. They knew just where we were. That's reassuring, isn't it? We were there for five major coup attempts. And during those five major coup attempts, when things were not looking real good, and you could stand and look down over the city of Manila and see bombs going off and see explosions going off, and we would go up to Faith Academy with our passports in hand, because the U.S., if it got critical, they would fly into Faith Academy. There was a landing field there. They would fly in off the aircraft carriers, or at that time they would come in from from the naval bases that we had there, and they would rescue evacuate U.S. citizens only. You better have your passport. Or you weren't going. You needed the credentials. Or you weren't going. They knew where we were. They knew how to pick us up. Uh, The Lord knows where you are. He sees you today. He knows you're here. He knows you're sitting in this meeting. He knows that your heart is a heart that is given over to Him. He knows you. Just as as Brother Dirk was sharing earlier, He knows all about you. He knows your past. He knows what's going on now. And He knows what will be happening to you in the days that come. And I'm glad He doesn't tell me. Because I don't want to know what's coming in the days ahead. Let's live and walk by faith. But he knows where we are. He knows who you are. He is the God who sees. He's the God who sees. He is Jehovah Jireh. Now, typically when we say Jehovah Jireh, we think of that as being the God who provides. But really it means the God who sees. And when he sees and he sees your situation, then he comes in and provides what the need is. He's the God who sees. And he sees you. And he sees me. And he sees my heart. And he sees my desires. And he knows you. And he knows me. As a representative of the embassy, I learned several things. And as I think these things through, you be thinking as I read these things, of yourself as a representative of Christ, wherever you are. Think of these things as I read them, because I'm not going to elaborate on them. We just simply don't have time to unpack them. An ambassador is the highest official in the embassy. Think on that. The embassy serves as a microcosm of the country they represent. The land itself is considered to be sovereign territory of the country. An ambassador is generally sent to a foreign country. An ambassador is provided with credentials to present to the ruling party in the country in which they serve. 
He is a representative of his country. Its policies, its ideas, its laws. He's a representative in the country of the policies of the country from whom he is sent. And he's there to protect. It's there to protect the citizens of his home country. One thing, and we'll, we'll hit on this again later, the Lord allows. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we're going to see that in just a moment. And as ambassadors for Christ, it is not our privilege, it is not our right to share anything of ourselves and what we want to accomplish. It is all the policies of God Himself that we are to share. We are to share His Word, His truth, His Gospel, and we are not to be tampering with it to somehow make it better or more palatable to men and women. We represent Him to a lost world. We represent Him to those who are His people. We are representatives as ambassadors for Christ. We don't make policy. We follow policy that's laid out for us in His Word. And I think that's an important point for us to remember. I think that's an important point for us as His children to remember. Now, as we approach this text, we find in our English translations that we are ambassadors. And there it's three words. We are ambassadors. We being the pronoun, and we don't want to get into all this mess. We being the pronoun, are being the verb, ambassadors being the noun, or the, what do they call that? The nominative for the gurus in here. But when you get to English, I mean, when you get to the original, it's just one word, and it's a verb. And it's a verb that's present tense and active in voice. So we might translate it like this instead of we are ambassadors. We are ambassadoring. We are ambassadoring. That's a bit cumbersome, isn't it? It sounds a bit odd to our ears. But really what it means is we are representing We are those who are representing Christ. We are representatives of Christ. We are representing Him. That is our responsibility. That is our duty as those who are representatives of Christ. We are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who represent Him in this world. So it's something that should be ongoing in us. It's something that should be continuous in us. It is not just something you turn on on a Sunday morning. It's not just something you turn on on a Saturday night. It's not just something you turn on on a
We are clay pots. But our sufficiency is not in ourselves. It is in Him. As we spoke of last night. But we are His representatives. As frail as we might be, as weak as we might be, as fragile as our, as our tempers and things might be, we still, in everything we do, we represent Him. Let's not forget that. When you're driving in traffic, we won't go there. <laughs> you represent Him. You represent our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been committed now. We have been committed, as we've been reading, a ministry. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation that is ours. Now, it's clear in the context that the reconciliation here is between man and man and man and God. Both things are seen here. Reconciliation means that something or someone is completely changed or adjusted to a standard. I always use when I speak of reconciliation, whether it's a good illustration or bad, I always use it so you're stuck with it. I always use the representative of a, of a piano, a string and a piano, to a tuning fork. And when you're trying to reconcile the piano string to the tuning fork, you hit the tuning fork, and they have all the electronic ones now, you know, but you hit the old tuning fork, it goes, ding. You hit the piano, it goes, dong. Well, those aren't reconciled, are they? So you hit it again. Ding, 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 ding. Now they're both saying the same thing. They've been reconciled. The piano string has been reconciled to the tuning fork. And I know all, I know, I know all examples break down somewhere. But you see the point. That we are to be, we have a ministry to reconcile men to a standard. And what is the standard? Wow. What is the standard? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the standard. The glory of God is the standard. God Himself is the standard. And how can we possibly reconcile or give a ministry of reconciliation to men who are fallen like we have been, who have failed like we fail, who are sinners like we were? How can they ever be reconciled to that standard? The blood of Jesus Christ has done it. And because I came to know Him, and because I received Christ as my Savior, I now have on me the righteousness of Christ. It's not me. It's Him. It's Him. Amen. <laughs> the righteousness of God. And I am now found complete in Him. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful, wonderful message in ministry that He has given unto us. To be able to preach a message of reconciliation between fallen men and the living, perfect, holy God. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a wonderful message he has given to us. Reconciliation. Now, when we understand that, it helps helps us to understand the tenor of the entire passage that we read. It is about being a representative of God. We are representatives of God in preaching the gospel to those whose hearts are veiled. Whose hearts the God of this world has blinded. That we might preach the light of the glorious gospel found in Christ alone. The God of this world has blinded them. My God is greater. My God is stronger than anything the enemy can do. And the Spirit of God is more powerful and can penetrate a heart, can convict a soul just as much today as He did in the first century. It is His ministry. It is His work. And we are representatives Sharing a gospel. Throwing out the seed. That the Spirit of God may take His Word and take the truth and drive it home to our heart. That's His work. That's why we don't lose heart when we go around handing out tracts week after week after week and see no evidence, no fruit. We do not know what the Spirit of God has done with each one of them. We do not know how many have been read. We do not know how many the Spirit of God has used to convict a heart and a soul. Whether or not they received Christ or not, the Spirit of God is striving with men. He's still striving. And we are His representatives in this world. And we leave the finished product unto Him. But we have a glorious gospel to preach. We have a glorious gospel to preach. And also we see our ministry as representatives of Christ is to direct the hearts and minds of the believers to live according to the gospel that they're preaching and to endure suffering in a godly way for the cause of the gospel. We are to be preaching not only to the lost, but to one another. Encouraging and building up one another in the things of God. That also is a part of this ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling man to man. But that's not our lesson for our focus for this afternoon. Ours is on mission. Ministry to a lost world. Taking our responsibility. Taking our responsibility. Our representing of Christ. We are presenting Him. We are representing Him. Not ourselves. Not our goals. Not our policies. Him and His goals. Him and His laws. His ways. His gospel. And we do so without prejudice. And we use that terminology sometimes we go to legal terms, don't we? And that's not what I mean at all. I don't mean the legal terms without prejudice. I mean we do it without prejudices whatsoever. Because everyone needs to hear the gospel. Whether they are poor, whether they are rich, whether they 
are black, white, whether they are Hispanic, whether they are gay, whether they are lesbian, whoever they might be, they need the gospel. And we should present it without prejudices of any kind. For so were you and so were I. Were I? Was I. Lost and without hope until Christ came into my life and saved me. And so we are to not regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't record, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. But we should be those men and women, boys and girls, who are looking at an individual as one soul for whom Christ died. And as our brother said earlier, those without him heading to a lost eternity. We need to see souls. Souls are interesting things, and we're not going to get into that whole ball of wax. But souls are interesting things, aren't they? Because in this room... I don't know how many are in this room, but each one of you is a unique, unique soul. There's no two alike. You can be identical twins and you'll be very, very different people inside. Each one a unique soul for whom Christ has died. We are His representatives representing Him in our world. And we do so not by looking at the outward appearance of people. And even though they may reject the message that we bring, it is the work of the Spirit of God to work in the hearts. And we, He has made us sufficient to carry a message. Weak and stammering we may be. But it is God's work. Taking our responsibility. Our representing of Christ. Representing Him. Not seeing others better than ourselves. Or seeing others better than ourselves. Sometimes we need to do that opposite, right? But sometimes Westerners. And we've noticed this. And I'm sure my brother and sister here as well have noticed this in Uruguay, but as we travel around the world, we, we see Westerners, and particularly Americans, when they go into a foreign culture, when they go into a foreign world, they're like this. We are so much better than you are. We are so much wealthier. We are so much smarter. We have much more understanding about spiritual things than you could ever imagine. And we are who we are. And so you better listen to us. We use a term, don't we? We call them, well, you're not American, so. <laughs> we, have, we use the term ugly Americans. Ugly Americans, proud and boastful people. Going in among people they see as their inferiors. My brothers and sisters, there are no inferiors. We're all men and women. We're all souls before God. And we should never, 
ever regard someone according to the flesh again. But with humility, bringing a gospel to those who need it. And if we bring that kind of attitude with us when we go overseas, and I, and I must admit, when I first went over in 1987, I had that attitude in my own heart. Somehow I was going to go over and I was going to straighten out those Filipinos, you know. I was going to teach them. I was going to train them. I was going to go into, into the Bible school and train them. And then I got over there and I found out that there were so many of those men and women who loved the Lord and had been serving the Lord, who had such knowledge in the things of God that they put me to shame. Representatives of Christ. So moved by death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Moved by Christ's death for all. We all now are to see man no longer as Jew, no longer as Gentile, no longer as black, no longer as white, no longer as brown, or make any kind of racial distinction. All are in need of the gospel. All are souls for whom Christ died. Do you have prejudices? Do you have prejudices in your heart? Deal with it before the Lord and deal with it tonight. Don't let it go on. Don't let it go on. Rich or poor, slave or free, those who have PhDs and those who have little education, they all need the same Savior. They all need the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been changed by his matchless grace. We seated in this room, and I believe it's true probably of everyone in this room. We have been changed by the matchless grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see him and his beauty and his glory and his majesty that it belongs to him. We no longer see him according to the flesh. We see him glorified and lifted up in majesty and in power. And since this is true, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. All things have passed away. Old things have passed away. All things become new. So we representing him plead with man on Christ's behalf as though God were pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. I implore you, he says, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all of us working together, all of us as those who love him and know him, working together with him, plead with you. To receive the grace, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Paul never assumed, just because he was writing or speaking to a local group of believers or a local church, that everyone in the, within the meeting was saved. 
In a church that has many problems and immorality, he wrote these letters. To a church that was having all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems, he wrote this letter. So I will not assume it as well today here. I do not know you. If you have made a profession of faith in Christ, and yet there is no evidence, no fruit in your life, and still sin seems to still dominate you, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Tonight, today, be reconciled to God. And turn your life over to the Savior. What is our worldview? I have to quarter after I think, right? What is our what is our worldview? What is our worldview? Through what lens do we view the world? Have we allowed the world, the culture of this world, the society to shape the way we see things? Have we allowed the world to creep in and change the way we think? Or is our worldview shaped by what we know is truth in the Word of God? What shapes your worldview? And what I mean by worldview is how we look at the world, how we see men and women, how we interact with the world and those within it. Worldviews are those grids by which we understand our experience and find meaning in the wider perspective of things. I always said, and it's true of our children, as missionaries, our children's worldview is very, very different than the worldview of those who just grow up in the States and never have a chance to see any other kind of culture and see any other kind of people. Their worldview is very, very different. How is our worldview? How do we view the things of life? How do we view the things in our day-to-day life? Do we view things from a theocentric point of view? Where God is center? In everything, God is center. Or do we, are we seeped into an egocentric kind of life? Where it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about glory for me. I'll tell you something, and you know this. God will not share His glory with anyone. And if you're seeking glory for yourself, in even your ministry for Him, If you're seeking glory for yourself, even in the things you do for him, he will not share his glory. It must all be laid on the altar. It must all be for him and for his glory. How's your worldview? Do you see, I'm trying to remember who it was I was listening to the other day. I think it might have been D.A. Carson. I don't know if any of you have ever listened to D.A. Carson or read anything by D.A. Carson. Anybody read him? D.A. Carson is a wonderful scholar. But I, I was reading something by him the other day. 
And you know, right now, I can't remember what it was here. I was reading. You see how that kind of stuff happens, you know? I should have never talked about who it came from, and I could have said it. But now I thought about who it came from, and I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I remember. He was saying something like this. When you go to a softball game or you go to a baseball game and you see a pitcher winding up and throwing a strike and you're cheering for your team, do you ever think what wondrous gifts God has given to man that he can have an arm like that? that can move like that, and can function like that, and can throw a ball like that, and have accuracy like that. Do we ever see God in those things of life? You know, there was a time when that's the way men thought. They saw God in everything. And in nature. It wasn't like men didn't understand the water cycle. The Scripture talks about it. How they... The water is in the ocean, it's gathered up into the clouds, and it, and it moves over the land, and it drops its water, and it falls into the streams, and it goes back to the ocean. They understood the water cycle, didn't they? They weren't stupid. But what do they say? It is God who brings the rain. It is God who brings the rain. And we must learn to have a theocentric, a, a God-centered life that sees everything through the filter of, of God himself. It's not about what makes me feel good. It's not about what's good for me. It's not about what your theology can do for me. Can it make me feel fulfilled? Can it give me peace? Can it make me free? Maybe I'll give it a try then. It's not what it's about. It's about him. And it will always be about Him. It will be about His glory. For all eternity, it will be about His glory. It won't be about our glory. Anyway, our time is about gone. And as usual, I'm nowhere near finished. I want, I want to end with this. and I'm going to move rather rapidly through this because I didn't want to get to this point. The God who created us who made us his ambassadors, who made us those who were representing him in this lost world and among our brothers and sisters, the one who created us, the God who made all things and upholds all things by the word of his power, is the one to whom we are accountable. And he has offered us salvation and provided a propitiation in his son, and we can be forgiven and made right with God. We have a message for the nations. We have a, nation, a message for mankind, for for men and women and boys and girls. And we can, as Ezekiel spoke about, even though it's in a different context, stand in the gap. We can stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22, the Lord was looking for men to stand in the gap, to intercede and cry out for the people that they might be saved. Crying out to God. And he looked for a man. He looked for a man who would cry out and intercede for the people of Israel in the time in which they were. And he did not find one. He did not find one who would stand in the gap. He says in Ezekiel 22, 
So I sought a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Will you stand in the gap? Whether it's by praying earnestly for God's people and for God's servants. As you are representing Christ in this world. Will you stand in the gap? You remember that song? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Who will I send, Calvin said the other day, last night. Who will go for me? Do our hearts still cry out? Here am I. Send me. Or do we say, that's good enough for someone else. It's not for me. I lack the skill. I lack the training. I lack the desire. That's the work for others to do. It's not my work. Then we all need to review our commission. Because the commission is for all of us. All of us. And we don't have the time to review that commission tonight. But it's for all of us. He called us. He called the disciples. And by extension, he calls us to become fishers of men. But the first part of that is follow me. Follow me. Are we following the Savior? If we're following the Savior, He's going to make you a representative of His in this lost world. I remember when I, when Joyce and I were heading back to the field in, in 2007, there was a particular song that became our theme song. And cutting to this, to end our time tonight, it was a song by Steve Green, and it became our theme song for the last seven years of our ministry in the Philippines. And it still stirs me when I read the words or hear them sung. And you can be thankful I will not sing them, but I will read them. It goes like this. Give me ears to hear your spirit. Give me feet to follow through. Give me hands to touch the hurting and the faith to follow you. Give me grace to be a servant. Give me mercy for the lost. Give me passion for your glory. Give me passion for the cross. And I will go where there are no easy roads. Leave the comforts that I know. I will go and let this journey be my home. I will go. I will go. I'll go. I'll let go of my ambition. Cut the roots that run too deep. I will learn to give away what I cannot really keep. Help me see with the eyes of faith. Give me strength to run this race. And I will go, Lord, where your glory is unknown. I will live for you alone. I will go because my life is not my own. I will go. So send I you. I will go. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you don't have to go to Uruguay. You don't have to go to the Philippines. 
you are his representative right here. Go for the glory of our Lord. Amen.